Welcome to Elevating Brick and Mortar, a podcast about how operations and facilities drive brand performance. This episode features an interview with Nick Amaturo, head of indirect procurement at Subway. Subway is a multi-billion dollar privately held business with over 40,000 locations across the world. Nick joins us to talk about why he feels facilities deserves more attention, how the pandemic highlighted the importance of cleanliness, and why data will lead the industry into its future. But first, a word from our sponsor. Wouldn't you like to rest easy knowing that your brick and mortar locations are offering the best possible guest experience? It's time to partner with Service Channel for peak facilities performance. Check out servicechannel.com to learn more. And here's your host, industry and FM technology thought leader and chief business development officer at Service Channel, Sid Shetty. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining. Really appreciate it. We have an exciting episode for you today. We have with us Nick Amatoro. Nick, welcome. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sid. So let's dive right in. You know, with our first segment, we love to ask questions about uh, about our guests. So I'll jump in with Nick. What's your role? Uh, what do you do? What are you responsible for at, at Subway? So Subway, I'm, I'm the head of indirect corporate services procurement. So I support the organization on multiple categories, everything from legal, finance to operations and store development. And traditional procurement role, I support you know contracts, RFPs, negotiations, product evaluations, efficiency, pro, you know productivity projects. And I've just started to get into some of the ops uh, as far as ovens, uh, which is a, a fun topic we could talk about. But you can imagine it's a broad scope in, in you know, the quote-unquote indirect procurement space is pretty broad. And some companies define it differently, but it's really everything that goes into running the organization itself is what I support. Got it. And I, I have a follow-up question on that. But before I do that, I would love to understand how did you end up in procurement? Yeah, so that's I ask myself that every day, and it's been over a decade of supporting or being in procurement, and it was by chance. I was actually kind of really looking at finance roles within, you know, sort of traditional sectors when I came out of college, and I was interviewing with financial services companies and a hedge fund even that, you know, I'd probably be really wealthy right now, but not having as much fun. And I was living in China um, on a contract working for a market research company, and a recruiter had called me from PepsiCo and, you know, sort of out of the blue said, you know, family friend of mine, and he had just placed uh, a VP in, in you know, PepsiCo's global procurement team. And they had asked him for someone junior and not really his his kind of skill set to source people for. But he's like, hey, you know what, I'll take a, take a stab at it. And he called me and said, you know, I know you're looking for something global. You're in China. Pepsi's looking for somebody, you know, to kind of come into their global procurement team in a finance role. So it was really, I came into the organization as a finance sort of uh, resource to uh, the category. And then over time, I transitioned to getting on the the commercial side of the category, uh, supporting packaging for PepsiCo and haven't left it since. Love it. Okay. Wow. That's quite a journey. Let's talk a little bit more about Subway, which by the way, is a phenomenal brand. What makes it so special? There's nothing like it. I've worked for a multitude of companies. If you look at my background, I've sort of collected, you know, logos in multiple industries, food and beverage, CPG, cosmetics, and the franchise world is is there's nothing like it. It's wild, it's exciting, it's dynamic, it's challenging. 
And Subway is a privately held company that the two um, founding families still control it and own it, but it is a 100% franchisee-owned business. So, so we have around, you know, depending on the day, 40,000 locations globally. So we have one of the, if not largest footprint of any franchisor in the world. And so we are a support system to support, you know, the, the franchises. And so we exist, we own the intellectual property, we own the brand and all the marks that come with it. Um, but we are a development sort of company that's that's there to provide resources to, to make the franchises as successful as possible and then deliver ultimate value to our owners and, you know, kind of quote, shareholders of the company. So it's crazy, you know, as big as we are, we are very small in the corporate level. So we only have about 1,500 to 2,000 corporate employees. And so it's a very small, lean organization. And you look at our franchise organization and it's, you know, 400 plus thousand franchisee employees that are, you know, independently running their own businesses, running, running their subways, some multiple, some have multiple subways throughout the world. And so it's a lot of stakeholders and it's an iconic brand that's going through a transformation. So it's a real exciting time to be there. All right. Before we jump into the next section, let me reiterate that amazing stat. Subway has 40,000 locations worldwide. Wow. Let's talk about some of your big picture objectives and the way you and your team move them across the goal line. We're going to go inside, we're going to go outside, inside and outside. We're going to get them on the run, boys. Once we get them on the run, we're going to keep them on the run. And then we're going to go, 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 go. And we're not going to stop till we get across that goal line. So what are Subway's goals when it comes to the kind of customer experience you want to have? And how do you do this consistently across 40,000 locations? Yeah, it's a struggle. It's very difficult because we don't have boots on the ground. The organization was was really, multi, there was multiple layers set up since the beginning because our founders really just wanted to open locations. That was the goal since our founding was to have the market share, have a location in as many countries as we could. And so there's many layers that were built into this to, to build that. And so we have made active efforts over the last several years now to take back a lot of that ownership and control within regions. And it is really to improve the guest experience and to improve the profitability for the franchises. So it's it's we've we've started to in in certain countries, the US being our biggest market, remove layers and install sort of subway corporate employees that have oversight over a geography of locations. Whereas in the past, that was a role that was managed by another independent that was incentivized by, you know, making sure that the franchises were successful, but also, you know, sort of independent of the franchise and independent of Subway corporate. So it was just another layer removing us from the franchise at the end of the day. So we have made active efforts to change that and to really increase our visibility and ownership of each region. And ultimately, our customer, you know, is the franchise. You know, we, they're, they're, we're trying to make it the best opportunity for them. But we are concerned to make sure that the guests as well are experiencing the consistency and quality across every subway they go into across the world. And so it's it's very challenging. But the, there's a lot of new, new kind of team members that have been put in place and new roles, specifically 
geared at improving those specific uh, experiences, which is exciting. Right. So I just want to double click a little bit on that, right? Wherever someone enters into a subway location, they know what to expect, right? They There's a certain experience that I think you've been able to offer consistently. From the inside, like when, when Subway looks at what you mentioned, guest experience, what does that comprise of? Like, I'm sure it's the food and other things. How, how do you look at it? Yeah, it's, it's everything. It's the whole experience. It's from the food, the, the service, the aesthetic. So we're, we're you know, constantly relooking at our aesthetic of, of each restaurant and making sure that we're keeping up with the times. And so we are always looking at the design aspect of each restaurant and the usability and, you know, things change drastically with COVID. You know, we, we realize that we don't have a lot of standalone restaurants. We don't have a lot of drive-through restaurants and the third-party delivery apps have greatly increased. Pickup has greatly increased. So we are relooking actively at our store, our just footprint and, you know, when you do enter right now, you really have to walk through the dining area and get to the sort of, you know, the, the showcase of the food and your bread options. And that model's changed. We're, we're looking at how to change it and not disrupt our network too much because there is a lot in, of investment in our footprint. You know, there are franchises uh, are, are, you know, paying for the tables. You know, we're, we do have some incentives and negotiated contracts with you know, millwork providers and supply manufacturers, equipment companies. But at the end of the day, it is that they are paying a significant amount to, you know, kind of that that capital investment into the restaurant. So we don't want to change it too often because it's, you know, there's an investment and, and now we're asking them to reinvest in the location. So it's the entire experience from the storefront exterior to getting inside you know, checking out, making sure that there's the bag that is branded and there's napkins and, you know, the, the fountain soda is is working, the chip selection is there, the cookies are being baked. So it's, it, we, there's someone focused on every aspect of the experience uh, at the corporate level. Yeah, that's 100% right. And I think, you know, a big focus on, on this show and, and in our space, of course, is the, the actual physical space, right? And as you mentioned, the physical space is a huge uh, hand to play in how customers feel welcome and the experience they walk away with. I've known you for, for some time now, and, and you, have in some way or form, have been involved with facilities and operations through your career, through your journey. Uh, would love to understand your view on the role of facilities and operations as it relates to the overall organization, any kind of organization, right? You've, you've done a few different industries at, at this point. And how do you think procurement fits into that mix? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. I think for most organizations, there's not enough involvement of procurement. And that's just the nature of the beast. There's only so many resources and any, in or, any organization and, and budgets. So, you know, I've seen, I've seen the gamut of it. And it, it really comes down to, it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's really how to elevate it to a point where it is important to some extent. I'd say, you know, there's there's certain brands that that I've worked with in particular that it is the forefront. It is, you know, people, especially, you know, I, I worked in high-end luxury and cleanliness is extremely important. And, you know, we would look at different scopes of work and clean our stores more than, than anyone else because someone is, has a high price point of product. You know, I've seen that and I've seen 
department stores that are a little, you know, outdated and tired and have a demographic that isn't concerned with the aesthetics. And so we're not investing in the facilities as much in those particular sort of, we call them banners. So, you know, we're not cleaning the stores as much. We're, we're not changing the lights. You know, some of them are still fluorescent now. Now at this point, they're, they're most, I think, 100% LED. But it was, it was really based on, you know, each brand and their approach and what the customer is willing to pay for something is important. So, you know, when I was at Saks Fifth Avenue, you know, Saks obviously is is a flagship, you know, especially the Fifth Avenue store. That is a flagship store. There's nothing like it in the world. And so the building itself is worth you know, at this point four to five billion dollars itself, just the building. And so, you know, when you walk in, it's a show and you you're you have to delight your customer the minute they enter that cosmetics floor off of Fifth Avenue. And so, yeah, it was, there was a high, you know, that, that place is being, the lights are always important. The cleanliness is important. Um, but as you walk into Lord and Taylor, same company owned it, you know, down, down the street, down on 38th street, older demographic, older building, less important of, of a, cl- a cleaning scope. So, you know, on the retail side, I've seen those variations in the food service. It's, it's different, you know, cleanliness is important because there is food, so I will say that cleanliness and, you know, just keeping up with standards, testing things, temperature controlling things, it, it is paramount in the food service business just because of we are handling food and food safety is very important. And so everything down to the chlorine in the water is being tested on a constant basis at our restaurants. So we, we take it very seriously on the food safety side. Um, you know, are some of the floors old? Yes. You know, or some, is some of the lighting old? Absolutely. Some people still don't have our new logo and that's, that's important, but less of an importance than the food safety aspect and the cleanliness of the restaurants. So Nick, different brands cater to different demographics, right? And so there are different expectations in play, but do you think most brands understand the importance of facilities as it relates to the overall customer experience? Yeah, I think it's there's never there's never enough focus. I will say that in any organization I've worked, uh, I don't think that it's taken as serious as it could be, and and because I've touched so many different categories of procurement from the services side of the business to direct materials to packaging, you name it, I've I've touched it in procurement and supporting multiple organizations. I always I never felt that facilities has the attention it deserves as having the impact it could have on a location. It's always more reactive. I've seen it very reactive. I've seen high turnover. I've seen underpaid staff with not getting the recognition, underqualified staff in roles that they're just not suited to support. And it it is a constant challenge, especially coming in as a procurement professional looking to support these departments and roles that there's there's a lack of education. It's not it's not the individual's fault. They've maybe fell into the role because they were in a position that it just made sense to. Oh, you know, you're in operations. You know, facilities make sense for you to take over. Um, but unfortunately, I've just never seen the attention it each it really deserves. And it then you know impacts the stores. You know, it impacts the stores, um, the morale. You know that it's not important. They, you know the, the the facilities team doesn't have a seat at the table on decision making. You know construction te- typically, and especially in 
you know, actually most organizations, it's construction-led, you know, sort of projects where construction will determine specs. They'll determine, you know, they'll work with a creative or an interior designer architect. And facilities is left sort of cleaning up, I'd say, the mess because, and, and I wish it wasn't a mess. Unfortunately, in most remodels or store redesigns and renovations, there's typically an issue. Like it's, it's whether, you know, this elevator is hard to clean and it, because it's total, it's all glass. Of course it's hard to clean. It's all glass, you know? And so it's, it looks really pretty, but, you know, to actually maintain the cleanliness is really difficult. And, and then, so not only from the cleanliness perspective, but elevator example, like someone thought it was a great idea and there's only so many service providers that can maintain that elevator. So now you've limited your pool of vendors in a, in a very challenging market, if not the most challenging. This is a specific retailer in Manhattan. In Manhattan and San Francisco are the two most difficult markets to really find you know, affordable talent and, and vendors. And so you've limited now a design. It was a design-driven decision that, that led that store design. And I see that constantly. And it's from rugs to material floors, you know, types of wood. You know, people are choosing soft wood for their floors. And next thing you know, they're gouged up and dented. And so I've seen it so many times that unfortunately there's a lack of communication and importance on the, the role of facilities that, that is, it could, they, you know, could have on a store. Um, and even just being included in the conversation, it's, uh, I've never seen it really done well. And I've, I've been fortunate to work with some very talented facilities support roles that people that really shine because they know what they're doing. And I'm like, okay, so I know what success looks like, but I don't see it often at organizations. So it's been an interesting couple of years, right? When you look at either procurement or facilities or, or how you support facilities um, over the past two and a half or three years, what do you think has changed? Well, there's definitely the pandemic has drastically changed everything, I think, in so many different industries. But it's highlighted the importance of cleanliness and obviously responsiveness. It, it's created a whole nother category of this sort of sanitization that just didn't exist, you know, these deep cleans. So that has just, you know, made it more important than ever to have a, a program in place where, you know, cleaning is important. Air quality is also more important than ever now. So, so the, the the pandemic has changed a lot of the physical aspect of, of a location and 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 kind of made it important. You know, sanitization. You know, you think about every hand sanitizer and cleaning service out there that's sort of just had to get exasperated because of the pandemic. Um, but then, just people's patterns have changed. So. Like I said about the subway example is, you know, people drive through is more important than ever. Pickup, curbside pickup, delivery, you know, it, so it's, it's drastically changed things and accelerated the, that change. I'd say prior to that, the trend was really on the data side. Um, that was really the biggest thing I had seen is that the, the data side was getting more, just more than ever, there was data to support the, the facilities. And that was the trend. It was data on the service network, data on quality of work, data on any sort of you know, minutia of data was available if you had the right strategy and facilities. And then outside of that, it was capturing the guest experience. That was a whole nother 
sort of category that was new, new-ish, I'd say in the last five years, is that guest satisfaction, you know, and how to capture it. And, and these platforms that capture these sort of surveys post-visit have have really done well for themselves. And they are really robust. There are some very large enterprise-wide platforms out there that now can capture the voice of the customer immediately, you know, and it's not just like, even at the airport, the last time, I don't know if we went to an airport, but even just in the bathroom, the little sign, smiley face and sad face, you know, that didn't exist. And so if if people are starting to look at that experience more than ever, because they need to have some insight into the service providers or the staff that are there because they're not there. So before the pandemic and everything really changed, that was the trend I was seeing is that data and capturing data was was expanding across every vertical and industry. Yeah, we've been seeing a lot of companies that are specializing in surveys and and gathering feedback from the consumer. And um, it's pretty interesting. Those conversion rates are pretty high. A few companies that I recently spoke to and met were Tattle, Yumpingo, to, to name a few. You know, it, it makes sense because when the consumer is in your restaurant, they have a certain sentiment, what they're feeling at that moment, right? The the food, the ambiance, the lighting, the physical space, how the food is plated, all of that collectively contributes to that, that experience you're having with your family and your friends. And you'd really want to capture that in that moment. And you can then use that data to really understand your consumer and understand how to serve them better. Another interesting phenomenon that we're seeing in restaurants is how they're interacting with their customer, right? Whether it is new digital experiences or even changing their physical space to keep up with new trends. Examples being more drive-throughs, different formats, different dining room layouts, bigger kitchens to deal with new online ordering platforms. But all of these changes are being driven by consumer data, right? And the changing customer demands. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think to that point, the the physical focus, especially in restaurants, and because of COVID, you know, it has changed. A lot of restaurants have adopted ghost kitchens off-site that just produce just for delivery. And so that, that seems to be a, a growing trend, uh, that ghost kitchen mentality, and then, yeah, I would, I'm just thinking every restaurant I've gone to recently, QR codes have all of a sudden become like everybody knows a QR code. And it was this thing that I think was sort of on the edge of, of getting adopted. And COVID has made everybody aware of what a QR code is. And that's sort of, that to me has been one of the biggest sort of phenomena that has come out of COVID is now QR codes are here to stay. And it's just like, okay, so now like someone should run with that and realize like there's a couple companies out there like Flowcode, they're, they're, they're monetizing it significantly and getting really creative with uses of QR codes. But yeah, that dining experience has changed. You know, people are maybe not seeing a menu and now they have a little placard that they have to scan the menu. And now you're, okay, now I'm driven to mobile. Even at the physical location, I'm driven to mobile, which is not anything that was going on before. And so that has changed. And then POS, you know, just at the restaurants changed, you know, companies like Toast 
have come in and allowed restaurants to really become more efficient. So when I see restaurants that have adopted this mobile sort of friendly, especially toast, there's other there's other platforms out there that do it. I'm a huge fan because I know that my dining experience is is going to be better than it's been, and I don't have to wait. So yeah, I think we're 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 a little spoiled right now. And I think it's going to be really difficult for some companies to keep up because it's the same thing that Amazon did with delivery years ago. Two-day delivery sounded crazy, crazy. It was the craziest thing, like two-day delivery. Now it's same day. And if you can't keep up, you're, you're really losing out on a whole market. So it's harder than ever right now to stay attuned of things. But I think education is important. Companies need to see what, what data sources they have and start to really take some risk. And, I, and that's what I, I'm hoping a lot of these companies start to take more risk and try some things out. And not everything will work, but there's a lot of proven success out there. But yeah, data will help any of these sort of points. You need, you need some sort of data. You're 100% right. You know, brands are trying new things to interact with and um, and attract their customers. But, you know, not, not everything will stick, and that's okay. But whatever does stick, I think, will be transformational, right? Some really interesting things that we're hearing about are um, robots in dining rooms uh, used to deliver drinks or even bus tables. Uh, also, new ways of delivering food like drones or rovers. But, but ultimately, the point here is that brands understand that they have to compete and delight and offer new experiences that, you know, keeps them competitive. So let's jump into our next segment where we talk about how we do this and some of the strategies that we can collectively adopt to achieve our goals. This is how we do Nick, I want to understand from your perspective, what's the relationship between procurement and facilities? And what do you think we should do to work together so we can collectively move towards the same goal? I think it's partnership. You know, it's I think there's a lot of, you know, hesitation for procurement in certain groups that I've dealt with. There's always, you know, hey, I'm sort of coming in, you know, it's not my day-to-day, so I have to really approach each category I, you know, sort of enter into at a new company with some hesitation, knowing that this is the person's day job. This is what they do. They might be doing, they've done this for 30 plus years and are a subject matter expert. So I always come in with, you know, just the understanding that I'm not an expert in these industries. And yes, some I know stronger than others just because of my experience, but I sort of I, I I come in and I look to partner and help them achieve their goals. And so I think that's the way what I found success in is approaching each category that way. And it, it's the same thing for facilities. And I look at how can I help? And is it are you getting the service quality you need? Are you getting responsive vendors? Do you feel that you're paying the right price? And so I look at myself as a resource to make them. Um, sort of more efficient in their role. And one, it's great for me because I'm sort of unbiased and I, I come in and I don't need to, I could be the bad guy and the facilities team and or operations, whoever's managing it is able to manage the relationship and 
you know, I'm there to just ensure that it's, you know, it's appropriate, the pricing's competitive, is there even a contract, <laughs> you know? And so I look at my role every time to come in as a partner, not disrupt their world too much, um, but I want to help them and make sure that they're enabled. Yeah, I've seen procurement and facilities have different types of relationships in different organizations. In some cases, they understand how to work together and complement each other's strengths. And in some cases, it's adversarial, where procurement comes in just looking to cut costs without really understanding the business objectives. And then facilities is guarded and doesn't want them involved at all. Because let's face it, right? Facilities is a small slice of the pie that procurement has to go and deal with. But I think if both teams know how to identify opportunities and then address it, the results can be meaningful. Any thoughts on what you see and um, advice on how these teams can work together better? I think procurement has a reputation where it's, you know, we're coming in to save money. And that is sometimes a strategy. It's obviously pressured. And, and I've been in roles where my, my main priority was savings. And it's a shame that that sometimes is the main priority. But every time I approach facilities, it's never to save money. And I think that is helpful. And, and I sort of will challenge my leadership every time to say, we're not, we're not going in to save money. And that shouldn't be our goal. It's ensuring that we have the right vendors and we have the right strategies and plans in place. And if there's an opportunity to save money, fantastic. But it is not the, it should not be the goal in facilities to save money. It should be to ensure that I think, you know, scopes are appropriate. And that's always something that, you know, allows itself for cost savings is to relook at your scopes and optimize scopes and say, you know, do you need this, you know, cleaning this many times and, and this type of, you know, product and that, and, you know, and then the rates, obviously making sure that the rates are competitive is, is important, but I never, I never go in saying leading with, I have to save money or cut costs or budgets are getting cut because I think that's short-sighted in facilities. And a lot of times, you know, the break fix world, you know, reactive world, emergency services world will always be more expensive. And so I always like, again, and that's me challenging my leadership I'll defend facilities first versus driving my procurement agenda because I know how hard it is to manage facilities from a, like a, a role that is somewhat disconnected. They're not in the stores or restaurants every day. And so they don't have a lot of resources. So I always look for ways to eventually find savings, but not lead with it. Um, and that's been successful for me. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. I think procurement can do a lot of good and should be and can be an indispensable part to the business. And, uh, you know, the good ones know it's about outcomes, which means value, better service, faster delivery, which ultimately has a positive impact on the business. Um, and then there are those teams that are just looking for cheap. Cheap is not good, right? Um, and cheap has consequences. And what we found is that uh, what might seem like a low price on the surface ends up costing you more. I would say to any team out there, if you need to make the right difference, spend time understanding the business. So Nick, here's a question. For the folks that are in our audience, 
that are either in procurement or are dealing with procurement right now. Are there any tools and strategies that you have found to be indispensable over your journey in this role and how you work with facilities? Anything that you'd say you can't live without? Yeah, at this point, technology, especially on the work order management side, is is, ne- is necessary. You can't manage effectively if you aren't tracking the work orders. And, and could be super simple, basic, but I've seen a lot of platforms out there that have made it very approachable, economical, and they they justify and pay for themselves in a very short amount of time. And so I do think that that's probably most important to have that visibility where someone can, you're, you're ensuring that your locations are using the vendors that you have determined and you have negotiated. And so that to me is something that is, if I, if I go somewhere and they don't have a, a tool in place to manage work orders, that'll be the first thing I'll do because otherwise you're, you're sort of working uphill and you could have a great vendor network, but you know, there's no way to be strategic if you don't have some sort of tool in place to, to get you that granular detail. I've known you to be a very data-driven person, right? Do you feel organizations leverage the data they have enough? Data is key, especially in facilities, because there are platforms that exist that allow you to get to itemization of invoices. I'd say of all categories I've touched, it's the most data-heavy. And I don't think anyone's really, at least in my experience, taking advantage of it to the best of their ability um, and it, and it's it's unfortunate because there's so many different categories that go into running a store or a facility or anything that don't have the ability to have granular data. Some of it's just assumption based, you know, shopper track, you know, where you're checking the analytics of people coming in and out of your store. You know, it's it's useful, it's a tool, but this is a category that you could actually get down into the weeds and see exactly you know, who did what, how long did it take them? And, you know, did they have to come back? And so, and then you could actually get down to the asset level where you're starting to track an asset's longevity and life. So now you've got all this data. You're like, okay, why am I fixing this AC unit? I've now, and this kind of transcends into your own personal life too, with a home. Like why, why is it cheaper just to replace this item? And why am I spending so much money to fix it? And why, you know, why am I going to keep putting Band-Aids on a tool that would, would have been cheaper to replace it? I wouldn't have had downtime. And so I feel facilities has the opportunity to have the most granular, strategic, actionable data. And I don't think anyone or enough, enough people aren't taking advantage of that to their own detriment. And it's, it's costing them more money than they could even imagine because they have no idea because they're not tracking it. So let's talk about the future. The future. What what does the future look like in our space? Any rising trends in consumer behavior and technology? Things that we realized during COVID that you think are here to stay? Would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. No, I think there's there's a lot of trends. You know, I think automation, AI, you know, I think are 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 trends that are here to stay, especially in facilities. There's a lot of solutions out there that are getting smart and getting smarter and it all it all leads to data so i think data 
the accessibility to data and the type of data is is constantly increasing, which is exciting. And so I think there's so much change. Their importance is there. People, you know, coming out of this pandemic, I think people want to still go out. <laughs> and so it's not going away. I think you'll see a lot of brands and companies will dilute their footprint a bit. I think a lot realize that they were oversaturated. And so I think it's now, now that you have someone physically in your store or restaurant, what can you do? And so that is going to be a shift more than ever because the, you know before it, it wasn't as important. Now people are coming back after COVID. They want to shop. So I, I, I hope that trend continues. Technology is, is more important than ever. You know, the experience, obviously, on apps is, is important. You know, app-based, you know, ordering is, is more than ever. And then even now kiosks, you know, you go into even just McDonald's. Like I went into a McDonald's in Mexico City and I don't speak Spanish. And in Mexico City, it's, it's mostly Spanish-speaking, you know, kind of establishments. And so I was worried of how to modify my order and get what I wanted, but I was able to because the kiosk and everything, you know, sort of was perfect. And my so here I am in a different country in a language I don't know how to speak. I'm able to have an elevated experience. Um, so I, I, I do see that trend will continue in the future more than ever. I love that, and and I think you're hundred percent right. I think we're in an extremely fast moving and also an unpredictable time in our life. But I think if you keep your shining star or mantra as doing whatever it takes to delight your customer, you will find a way to adapt. Whether it's, you know, changing your physical space, leveraging technology, or finding new ways in which you can interact with the consumer, you will not only stay competitive, but you will develop amazing brand loyalty. All right, Nick, last question. What advice would you give to folks in either your role or in facilities and operations? What can they do to ensure that they continue to have the biggest impact on their brand and their brand's performance? I think education is important. So there's a lot of resources out there, literature, obviously podcasts, blogs, resources that exist in facilities. I, I, I do feel it's important to continue education, network, I think networking for me has been a huge value in facilities because I didn't know everything. I sort of fell into facilities by chance. And I was fortunate that I just hit the road. And I think I visited like 100 to 200 different facilities and educated myself with someone in, in operations to really get into the weeds, understand you know, what was going on, meeting with the vendors, you know, at the end of the day, a vendor will know more than you'll ever know in a category because it is what it is their livelihood. They are putting dinner on the table and they know more. They've forgotten more about plumbing than you will ever know in your role. And so I think it's important to really talk to as many people as you can, hear what your peers are doing, how they're addressing challenges and then, you know, stay connected with your vendors, the good, the, the partners that you've built, because they, they'll, they're ahead of the trends. They're, they know what's, what's happening before you ever will. And they're going to educate you to, you know, the hopes that hopefully they have less service calls, which is like the best vendor to find is someone that understands that, hey, they might be, you know, reducing their revenue, but you're happier. And that's, that's important. So it's education 
and then just reaching out to people that are in the industry to, you know, sort of check with your peers and see what trends that they're they're seeing. So I, I do that every every day. I, I ask someone what's going on in some industry because I want to know what my peers are doing. Uh, I, I can't assume I know the right strategy on everything. Now, that's great. Nick, thank you so much for your time. You and I have had some very interesting conversations over the years, and this conversation was no different. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really appreciate it. And to everyone in our audience, thank you for being here. And um, if you want to connect with Nick, I think you should find him on LinkedIn and reach out. Right, Nick? Yeah, yeah. Google me, LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn is, I, lo- I love it. It's a great resource for networking and, and connecting with peers at, at multiple companies. So feel free, shoot me a message and, and thanks for listening. And thanks, Sid. It's been a pleasure. Always, always a fun topic. I could talk about this all day. Love it. Thanks again, Nick. Really appreciate it. And we hope to have you back soon. And for all of you listening, thank you and see you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Elevating Brick and Mortar, a podcast brought to you by Service Channel. Partner with Service Channel for peak facilities performance. Go to servicechannel.com to learn more. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a rate and review. 